Welcome to the sermon podcast for New Life Church's Cabot Campus. We are located at 3400 West Main Street in Cabot, Arkansas. Our service times are Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. To find more information about what we believe, upcoming events, and more, please visit newlifechurch.tv or you can text the word Cabot to 88,000. I'm glad you guys are here. Hey, I want to let you know that God is moving in our nation. God's moving in our state. He's moving in our city. And uh, so uh, what what is going to happen for the foreseeable future is by the time you get here, we've already had church. And we're, we're doing a run through in the morning. We're making sure everything's squared away on that. But I just want you to know the spirit of God is here before we get here, before the first person gets here. And as we prepare and as we go through these songs and everything, we have church. We're already having a service. And so we're already warmed up. And I would encourage you, don't wait till you get to church to get warmed up. You need to spend some time first thing in the morning. I know it's hard when you got kids. It's all the more reason why you're gonna need the spirit of God. You need to wake up and say, good morning, Holy Spirit. My kids can be demons sometimes on Sunday and I need you to empower me by your spirit to walk in the fruit of everything that you are so that as we get ready this morning, we are prepped and ready to receive everything that you have for us. So I'd encourage you to do that. God is moving uh, in a lot of different ways. I could talk uh, about a lot of different demonstrations of, of how he's moving. But uh, last week was cool. We had water baptism. I think we had eight or 10 signed up. God moved. 20 people got baptized last week after our, our second service. So demonstrating their faith in Jesus and, and uh, in a lot of different ways. And uh, here's the thing, though. I, I have learned in the course of my life and my walk with the Lord is typically I will get out of what he wants to do about as much as I'm ready to put in. And, uh, and so I think it's important as we hear the word of God and this message this morning is going to apply probably to a lot of people in a very uh, personal way, in a way that honestly, if the enemy had his way, he would like to get you offended potentially. And I would encourage you, if your mind is racing right now, if you got a whole lot of stuff going on, you're gonna need the Holy Spirit to kind of give you a clean slate to receive. And I just wanna pray that he does that right now. Father, we come before you and we're thankful for how you're moving and your presence that's here. We don't take it for granted. Uh, The reality is you would like for us to have as strong of a realization of your presence, whether it's on a Sunday morning in a church or a Wednesday morning at work. We know that that's the God that we serve. And I just pray right now that you would invade every corner of our lives. We submit that our thoughts are not as high as yours. And we want every emotion, every feeling, every thought to be submitted under the power of your spirit the standard of your word, in Jesus' name, amen. So we've been in this series on humans and really a lot of it is just talking about the practical ways that we can make decisions that cause us to trip up, but potentially how the enemy would work around those things also to bring an attack 
a lot of the things we've been talking about, though, those would be like more frontal attacks. Like, okay, it's obvious. Like, the, the, when the enemy comes at you, last week we talked about finances, okay? So when the enemy comes at you with your finances, things can be very apparent. There's gonna be a manifestation of that attack because, you know, you're gonna be broke or you're gonna be having difficulties around your finances. Same thing with temptation. Same thing uh, with maybe even physical healing type stuff. Like, those, those are things that the enemy, when he comes at you, it's very obvious. It's in your face. It's a frontal attack. But what I have found is that if the enemy can't get at you from one of those frontal attacks, and a lot of times he likes to come in the back door through your emotions. And a lot of times you're not in a bad place. You're not living in sin. You're not doing it. You're actually like doing the best you can. And that's the thing. It's like when you're walking in wisdom, you're walking in discernment, you're, you're doing the best you can to stay around the things of God. Maybe there is some weakness around your devotion, connection, and, and just sensing his presence and allowing him to work in your life. But you're trying to be the person. A lot of times the enemy's like, well, I'm not gonna be able to just obviously come at their front door. I'm gonna have to find a back window. And a lot of times he'll do that through your emotion. If he can't trip you up in the obvious ways, he's gonna do everything he can to freeze the gifts and potential of God in you through depression, anxiety, grief, stress. He's gonna come at your emotions. If I can't trip you up and keep you from serving God, in one of these more apparent ways, I'll just do it through a more subtle way because at the end, the result will be the same. So many of the prayer requests that we get at the crosses have to do with emotional issues of stress, anxiety, depression, grief. But it seems to me that in some cases, maybe many cases, a lot of people have just settled that that's the way it's gonna be. Like, this is just the way I'm, I'm gonna have to live life. And I think a lot of times, some of us that struggle with our emotions, our feelings, we come to church and we just say, okay, God, just give me enough for this week. Like, if you could push back the devil just a little bit, and speak to me and touch me just enough to where I can cope and make it through the rest of my week. But here's the thing. The word cope is not in the Bible. The word in the Bible is freedom. That's the word. Your heavenly father doesn't want you to cope. He came and conquered the enemy at the cross so that you can be free. And the word says who the son sets free is free indeed. That's what he has for you. And if the enemy can't render you ineffective in your God-given abilities, he will begin to chip away at your sustainability. And he'll do that through your emotions and feelings. In other words, if he can't just get at you, trip you up, cause you to fall into sin, cause you to doubt who God is with a frontal assault, he'll just come and start wearing you down with your emotions until you're not effective anymore. How many of you know somebody that is anointed, gifted by God, but they're not in the race anymore? They're not in the race anymore. And it wasn't because of just this blatant sin issue. It was because they just slowly but surely faded. The enemy can wound you in your soul. He knows he can make you ineffective. 
So let's go to the word. In 1 John 3, 8, it says this, for this purpose, the son of God was manifested to destroy. Everybody say destroy. Destroy the works of the devil. That's a strong word. But what it means in the Greek is destroy. Completely obliterate. Like it ain't there no more. That's what God sent his son Jesus to do, to destroy the work of the devil. Matthew 12, 20, a bruised weed reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not stuff out. And that is just what happens and sometimes in our soul. But God is saying, look, I know that there's some wound there. I know that it's, it's bruised. I know that it feels like you're just kind of smoldering, like there's just barely an ember in there. But, but God's not here to break you and he's not here to put you out. He wants to restore you. This is the promise that even when you feel like you're in that spot, he knows exactly where you are and his desire and his will is that you are completely and totally made whole and restored again. Luke 4, 18, it says this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. This is Jesus. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, he sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recover of sight to the blind. And that's not just talking about physical sight. That's talking about spiritual vision. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. If you have your Bibles, if you wanna underline that word oppressed, because in the Greek, in the Greek that means bruised in the soul. Bruised in the soul to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, to free the bruised. Bruising basically is just bleeding, but it's beneath the skin. And so it's not always quite as obvious. Uh, I feel like out of all the different ways that I could hurt myself in life, one of the ways I hurt myself more than anything is hitting my head on stuff. Like, it's like a spiritual gift inside of me to hit my head on stuff. And, and I think the Lord does that because he's trying to test the fruit of the spirit in me. And it, I fail every time, like every time. I will manifest, that, that is when cuss words wanna come out of my mouth. If, if there is anger inside of me, it typically will come out when I hit my head on something. But what I've also noticed is when I hit my head, like if in, in, in a day I hit my head on something, I find that more than likely the percentage of chance that I'm gonna hit my head again in that same day is really high. And for some reason, I'm gonna find the exact same spot that I hit it the first time. And I'm gonna hit my head again. <laughs> and one time that happened to me and I just out of the corner of my eye noticed that one of my kids was laughing a little bit. <laughs> and it, I mean, how many of y'all know, like that doesn't make you feel any less angry, you know, like. And so I just looked at him and I said, you know, your older brother, Jonathan, laughed at me one time when I hit my head. And they said, we don't have an older brother named Jonathan. I said, not anymore, you don't. <laughs> not really. They'll get counseling sometime. But here's the thing. When you have a wound, as long as that is there, every time you bump it up against something or something bumps into it, you're gonna react. 
you're gonna respond. And when you have an emotional wound, you will continue to bump into others that'll bump into it. And it won't always be obvious what's causing all the issues because you can't see it. It's under the surface. On a soul level. So when Jesus is reading this or when he's speaking this, this is prophecy that Jesus is speaking over several things that Jesus came to do and still does today. Jesus heals emotional wounds. The reason why we need liberty around this is because these are typically areas that we hate to reveal. That's why we need liberty. The liberty is what allows us the freedom to actually be honest about what's really going on. I've noticed when you get a physical wound, like if you get a physical scar, that's like a story, right, for life. And, and especially for the men, like it turns into a fish story, right? Like it always escalates. Like I got this scar right here on my arm and, and it's pretty pronounced because I've got keloid tissue. So my, my scars, they, they, when they heal, they heal like pretty pronounced. And so that, it's from a bike wreck that I had when I was in high school. But that story has changed over the years, you know? Like it went from bike wreck to mountain lion attack to I got in a knife fight with a cartel down in Juarez, Mexico. Like, it, you know, things just kind of, they just grow. But when you have emotional scars, it's like you don't talk about those. They're off limit. Maybe especially for men, but I think just in general, it's awkward. These mental and emotional issues, if it's anger, depression, anxiety, fear. But here's what I do know. The things that you hold on to inside of you become strongholds for the devil. He didn't cause it necessarily, but he can't wait to use it. He's looking for ways to do that. Early in ministry, Honestly, I was just kind of a jerk. Like before anything really rough happened to me emotionally or spiritually, my counsel was typically like, you need to snap out of this. Like pick yourself up, buy a straw and suck it up, buttercup. Like that was a lot of times my response. But I want you to know that when I'm speaking this morning, I'm not speaking from a place that lacks personal testimony. I understand anxiety. I understand panic attacks. I understand depression. I understand you can't always explain why it's even happening. Sometimes there's seasons in life, some of mine has been around my kids struggling. Attacks coming against my, my family, false allegations. Like that, that, that's been, but sometimes it's not those things. Sometimes it's just like, man, what? Why am I in such a funk right now? Like there's nothing real apparent happening. And then I just, you can just be driving your car and you just start weeping and there's no reason why. And you just, what's going on? I understand a little bit of it I, and I'm not gonna pretend that I know exactly what you could be dealing with or what you've dealt with. But I do know this, it doesn't matter the, the degree of it, it's still the same God over all of it. It's still his word, it's still his spirit. 
So let's go to the Bible because there's a prophet named Elijah who had a season where he definitely struggled emotionally. Like he was empty. And the story that I wanna tell you, it comes right after this spiritual high, which there is a pattern in that I've noticed. But basically Elijah, he comes against 450 false prophets of Baal. And you might've remembered this from Sunday school. This is one of the favorites that they put up on the felt board, right? Because the prophets of Baal come and they're going like, we're gonna prove that our God's a God. And Elijah's like, you ain't got nothing. Like, I'm gonna prove this. And so there was these sacrifices. These prophets are cutting themselves and they're trying to get their gods to set their, their sacrifice on fire and, and nothing happens. And then Elijah says, I, 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 I got one for you. Go ahead and douse that whole thing in water. Put so much water on it that there's no way that anybody could say that some fire came from somewhere so they, they just put water all over the sacrifice. Elijah prayed, God sent fire from heaven and obliterated the whole thing. And so eventually the people take all these prophets and they put them to death. Okay, so right now, Elijah's spirit man is bowed up like, I'm gonna, I can charge the gates of hell with a water pistol. I'm confident right now. And then right after that, right after that, there's this breakdown. This is the encouragement. This is what James said about Elijah. Elijah was a man just like us. You see, Elijah didn't walk around with these supernatural things because he was supernatural. He was just a man who decided to be a willing vessel that a supernatural God worked through, but he was still a broken man. He's just like us. It means he was susceptible to the same troubles, the same temptations, the same moods and emotions that all of us face every single day. So I want you to get some stuff from this. This is, we're gonna study the Bible. Bible study happens when you read slower and you pick up a pen. That's what Bible study means. And so you're gonna need to jot some things down. Anything that you think speaks to you, you jot it down. And if it doesn't apply to you, you may think it's for somebody else. Go ahead and point at them. Don't do that. But, but, but I do believe that every person in this room can pick something up from this. Okay, 1 Kings 19, it says this. Starting in verse one, now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow, I do not make your life like that of, of one of them, like the prophets. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba and Judah, he left his servant there. You should underline that. While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no, long, I'm no better than my ancestors. You can underline that. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, the angel of the Lord touched him and said, get up and eat. So he's on the edge of burnout. He's depressed. And, and Christian psychologists have had a field day with this for a long time as a case study. But he, he, he has trauma. Like this is significant. Like he just watched a lot of gore, death happen around him. I wanna look at some signs some of the signs 
that you can know your emotional tank is running on empty. One is this, destructive self-talk. Like this is where we put ourselves down mentally. There is something that is on repeat in our brain. You're too broken. I'll never be good enough. I'm a nobody. My life doesn't really matter. I'm insignificant. I have no value. And it plays over and over again in your mind. And when you start down that road, your soul is gonna be in trouble and your emotions are gonna get way, way out of whack. In verse four, it says, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Look at that phrase, I'm no better. He is comparing himself to others saying, I'm no better than those guys. And what that tells us is it tells us that one of the first causes or what can be one of the first causes of depression is comparison. Because when you start comparing yourself to somebody else, you're setting yourself up for pain. Here's what I've noticed that comparison produces. You will either become prideful or you will become insecure. And the truth is, most of us will fall into two categories. We either have an inner critic or we have an inner cheerleader. Most of us are like that. And I find a lot of times God puts those people together in marriage. Not all the time, but a lot of times, okay? So in our marriage, I have the inner critic. I'm a little bit more pessimistic. Cody, she has the inner cheerleader. She's a little bit more optimistic, okay? But when this happens in a lot of different places, like the inner critics are like, man, I'm just not doing a good job raising my kids and other people do a better job than I do. But the inner cheerleader's like, I think we're doing a great job. They look pretty awesome. Well, they're making a lot of mistakes and this thing's happening to them. Well, play stupid games, win stupid prizes, you know? I'm still a pretty good parent, amen? Like that, that's kind of how that plays out. But when it comes to comparison, either one of those, we either cause this insecurity or causes pride, both of them are actually pride because pride is anything that puts yourself and your ability on the throne and takes Jesus off of it. So that's what happens with destructive self-talk is it typically is around, well, I'm none of these things in comparison to all those people that are all of those things. And you start telling yourself, I must, I have to, I ought to, I've got to, I should, I should. That's, that's a believer's favorite one. That's the, that, I should. I know all the things I should be doing. And a lot of Christians, they spend so much time shooting on themselves that they can't move into everything that God has for them. Stop shooting on yourself. It can only lead to guilt. And it's over things that you haven't even done. Also, irrational fear begins to reign in your heart. That's what happens when your emotional tank, irrational fear. When fear comes in your life, it's because your emotional tank is empty, especially as a believer. This dude is so fearful, he runs 90 miles. I mean, what, what, a, what an extreme example of how motivating fear can be. He runs an ultra marathon, runs. But, but here's the thing, this is what cracks me up. 
not cracks me up. I don't, I'm not going to laugh at, but it's ironic to me. He just got done standing up against 450 angry, false prophets, watch the power of God manifest and then put them all to death. He has one angry woman threaten him and he is consumed with fear. And there's about seven jokes that I could have written about that, but here's the point. There is an evil spirit on her that wound up influencing a rational fear in him. And here's the thing, Jezebel was not really gonna kill him. He is incredibly popular with the people. If she would have killed him, he would have been a martyr and she would have lost even more influence. The only way that she could really hurt him is to cause him to run off. That was the only way to hurt his influence was to get him to step out of his anointing and calling. And we know that there's no way that she was actually planning on killing him. I'm not like, you know, an FBI investigator or anything, but I've watched some crime shows. And what I've learned is this, if you're planning on killing somebody, you don't send a messenger. By the way, this time tomorrow, about this exact time tomorrow, bang, you're dead. Like you don't do that if you're planning on killing someone. You don't forecast. So I, she wasn't planning on doing this, but it worked. It worked because this irrational fear set in. She wanted him to run in fear. This is the could happen fear. That's a Jezebel spirit. I could lose my job. What if I get in this wreck? A headache, man, must be cancer. I got a stomachache, there's something growing. Maybe you just ate pizza and you know better, you're gonna have some gas for a little bit, you know? But it's irrational. Another indication, I'll walk away from key relationships in my life. Verse three, when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. He left his servant. So this, this servant, like you need to understand, like when they talk about this individual servant, these are people that were living life with them. They were with them all the time. They walked through everything together. So this is a servant that was with them. They bled together. They cried together. They laughed together. This is someone that knows him and knows his needs. That's his job. And he leaves them. This would be like me getting to this point where I'm just like, I'm not gonna talk to Cody about this. I'm not gonna talk to Pastor Rick. I'm not gonna talk to Pastor Harry. I'm not gonna talk to any of these people. I'm not gonna talk to any of those people. I'm gonna just try to do this on my own. I'm just gonna try to do this on my own. So we distance ourselves. Maybe you distance yourself from your life group or a life group leader. You're walking away from relationship and that is a sign. If you are missing those relational places, the travesty is that's the very place sometimes it's gonna strengthen your soul the most. And you've separated yourself from it. Another indicator, the thought of death feels like relief. He says, take my life, Lord, take my life. Just let me die. Okay, so this is a major issue right now, especially among our young people. I would say that a lot of it has been fantasized. Um, it's been romanticized by culture, by Hollywood. This idea that, that somehow ending your own life is not final. And it's 
really the best way or only way that you're gonna get the kind of attention that you long for. That's what Hollywood is presenting right now. We had our collide night. There were several hundred prayer cards handed in and almost all of them were anonymous. We don't know who wrote what, but there were 25 cards among those hundreds that had to do with suicidal thoughts. 25 students were having serious thoughts of suicide or self-harm. I want you to know if you're thinking that right now, just don't. It is a lie from the pit of hell. God has a plan for you. He has a calling for your life. And we love you. Your pastor loves you. You need to hear this. This is the truth. Never make a major decision when you're depressed. Never make a major decision when you're emotionally broken. Taking your life is a permanent solution to a temporary mood and feeling. Don't do it. There are people who care. We can get you help. We love you. Just don't do it, please. Please, if you're thinking about that right now. Young or old, that is one of the most demonic things that's happening in our culture right now. Don't play into his hands. We wanna help fight with you. Amen? How does God refill my tank? God says, take care of yourself physically. This is awesome. When you're wore out physically, it'll be very difficult for you to be spiritually coherent. Okay, kind of a funny example of this. I've talked about this before, but if we're in the middle of the night and one of our kids has a nightmare, they're having a hard time sleeping, they'll come into our room and they will go to their mom. They don't come to me because I'm not very gracious in the middle of the night. So they go to Cody and they'll say, mom, I had a nightmare, whatever it is. So they'll talk about that and they know that Cody's gonna pray for them, okay? But here's the thing, my wife, after 10 o'clock, don't expect that there's gonna be a lot of coherent sentences that come out of her mouth. Ever. Like until morning comes, there's some weird things that happen in this woman's ability to communicate. Like it, it's just, it's actually a little bit fun. Like if, you know, it's a little bit fun to be around actually. But so she will pray for them, but it is the most disjointed, it is word salad. Like it, it's like, God, ah, spirit, heal, good dream, ah, sleep. Oh, amen. Like that, that, that's like about the prayer. And the thing is, the kids keep coming to her for those prayers, you know? Uh, but, but she's just exhausted. So when your emotions are starting to get out of whack, it's typically gonna be because everything else in you is wore out. I love the 23rd Psalm when it talks about this issue. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, he makes. You can underline makes. He makes me lie down in green pastures. We read that and we're like, I wanna go lay down in a green pasture. But you don't because you're stubborn and you're prideful and sometimes you're a stupid sheep. And sometimes God says, no, I'm gonna make you. 
I'm going to make you. I know what you need, and I'm going to make you do this. He leads me beside still waters, and then he restores my soul. Sometimes God will force you to actually recharge your body. I would suggest this. Don't get to that place before you humble yourself and do what it takes to get recharged. Rest is the baseline to keep away anxiety, overwhelming grief, fear, real rest. It's not quantity of sleep. It's quality of rest in God's presence. 1 Kings 19 verse 5. Then he lay down under a bush and he fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around. There by his head were some bread with some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and he lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb. Okay, that's Mount Sinai. Same thing, the mountain of God. I love this. Angel wakes him up, slaps him, says, stop, stop all that vegan stuff. You need to have a donut and you need to have some water. You need to do this. I love how God is so practical too. He says the antidote to Elijah's emotional mess is he needs to eat, sleep, eat and sleep again. That is a word of the Lord for some of you. Some of you, that is not the word of the Lord for you. You have been eating and sleeping and eating and sleeping and eating and sleeping and eating and sleeping and eating and sleeping. And God said, you need to get up and get to work, buddy. But for some of us, man, that's, that's the word of the Lord. You know, the average American will give up on their physical goals of their New Year's resolution by January 17th. And the reason for that is because guilt is never a good motivator and outward appearance is way too shallow. At the end of the day, the goal has to be real health. So there's some steps in real health. I think it's important, set out your gym clothes. It's kind of external accountability. Maybe get a workout partner in there, but you need to drink a lot of water, cut out your sugar, snack better, eat better, but you have got to figure out your rest. Sleep is one of the biggest contributors to health. You can do so much of this other stuff, but if you can't figure out how to recharge your soul, it won't work. Jesus took naps, amen. Some of the most powerful things that Jesus did did right, happen right after he took a nap. He was napping in a boat. There's a storm going crazy. He just stands up and commands it to be still and it calms down. I think that's a great example. Get spiritually rested. You'll be able to stand up against the greatest storms in your life. But if you're not, you won't have the authority. In Psalm 127, 2, it says, God wants his loved one to get their proper rest. It's amazing how different things look when you get a good night's sleep. Tell God exactly how you feel. Tell God exactly how you feel. Even if the feelings are wrong or immature or unfounded, just be real. It's the beginning of healing. So Elijah goes to the place where Moses encountered God in the burning bush where the Ten Commandments happened. This is a special place. 
He goes to this place and God says, what are you doing here, Elijah? Does God know what he's doing there? Yes. God is, every question God has asked has always been rhetorical. Like he knows every time. But what does God want to hear? He wants to hear, I'm afraid, I'm bitter, I'm angry, I'm lonely, I'm worried, I'm depressed. There is example time and time again of mighty people, mighty men and women of God that set the example how you can pour out your heart before God. One of my favorites is David. You read some of those Psalms and he's like, God break the backs of my enemies and break their kids' backs too and their grandkids' backs. It's like, golly. But by the end of it, he says, but Lord, you are my strong tower, my refuge. Why? Because as you get real and transparent before God, as you pour out your emotions in the middle somewhere there, he begins healing your soul right in the middle of it. But you've gotta be real. I think a lot of times it happens, and maybe especially in the Bible Belt, people have bottled up their true feelings. And so when they do pray, they pray like they think they should pray instead of how they actually feel like praying. So they, they try to pray these super hyper-spiritual Christianese type prayers. Oh God, my God, thou art merciful beyond admission. I beseech thee, oh God and walk away still emotionally wounded because they weren't real. First Peter 5, 7, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. Just pour out your heart before Jesus and also understand that one of the greatest ways that God is gonna move in your life is through people and you've gotta have somebody in your life that you can be this honest with. It might be a life group, it might be a life group leader. And yes, by the way, from time to time, it can definitely be the case that you need counseling or therapy. I would strongly encourage you to find somebody who is Bible-believing and led by the Holy Spirit. You need to find counselors and therapists that are interested in you getting whole and healed and moving forward and not people that wanna keep you coping. verse 14 through 15 says this. He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. He's pouring out his heart. He's pouring out his heart. But I want you to see God's response. He pours out his heart. This is verse 15. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram. And he goes on, he gives him several other instructions. You're gonna do this, you're gonna anoint this person, and you're gonna do this, and you're gonna do that. Why? Because he's feeling so much of the way he's feeling right now because he stepped out of his identity and who God created him and called him and purposed him to be. And God knows, okay, we've worked on some of your emotions. We've worked on being honest and I've restored you and you're getting your strength back physically. Now you need to go back to your calling. You need to go back to how I've called you. The reason why he's doing so bad right now is because there isn't a prophet for God's people and God called him to be that prophet. So the last thing is this, you gotta do what you're anointed, gifted and called to do. The whole purpose of the enemy bringing an emotional bruises and oppression in your life is to put your gifts on ice, to stop your influence, stop what you were called to do with your life, your purpose. But I love this because there's like zero acknowledgement of the gripes. God says, 
You were honest. Thank you. Here's the real. Here's what you need. It's time to get back in the game. Like if I were on the board of elders for Elijah, I'd been like, man, he needs a sabbatical. We need to send him to Florida for three months. And sometimes you need to do that. But what do prophets do? They anoint, they preach, they raise up, they carry on the work. Why is this so important? Because he started down the path where he's at when he stepped away from how God saw him and called him to be. When you quit doing the things that God has asked you to do and be, that is a setup for emotional bruising. In my life, typically when I get into this place, it's because there's a devotional side of my life that is not as strong as I know it needs to be. I'm not spending time in the presence of God. I'm not spending time in his word. I'm not doing those things. But I'm also typically probably not doing what he purposed me and called me to do like I need to. And I find that a lot of times it's along the way and on the go that healing will fulfill its work. I think that's why, one of the reasons why I love missions trips so much. We just had a, a group of men get back from Cuba from a missions trip. I love going and talking to them about what that experience was like because most of them, when you ask them, tell me about your trip, it's like a deer staring at headlights. It's so hard for them to articulate because the reality is even though they made some impact, they did some good work, the real work happened in them. But what, what happens is as soon as you lift up your eyes and you begin to focus on what the kingdom of God is doing and how, well, how he's called you and purposed you and gifted you, when you lift up your eyes and you start making it about, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let the spirit of God just flow through me and work through me. When that happens, all of a sudden, it's amazing how much energy you have. It's amazing how the healing will happen. I've seen that happen in people in the middle of a missions trip where these scales will just fall off their eyes and they'll realize, man, God is so great. And healing happens. Sometimes the issue is you need to go back to a purpose of serving others because that's the heart of God and what he's called you to find you and created you to be a part of. It's gotta be out of an overflow of intimacy with him. But a lot of times the thing that you've gotta do is you gotta get back. Where did you lose? cutting edge? Where did you lose your passion? It's typically when you stepped away from how God sees you, what he says about you, what he purposed you and called you to do. Let's pray. Thank you for your word, Lord. I know these aren't all the answers. They're not all the solutions, but I thank you how you give us this example through your prophet Elijah that can encourage us, that, that just shows us the sequence. Thank you, God. I believe that Lord wants to heal people that are emotionally bruised. And the truth is there might be some people in here right now that you're not fully submitted in your relationship to Jesus. You have never surrendered your life to him as Lord and Savior. And the fact of the matter is the authority that we have including the authority that he's given us over our feelings, our emotions, comes first and foremost by being submitted to the authority of who he is as our Lord and Savior. And so if you're here and you've, you haven't done that, you're away from him, you don't have a relationship with him, 
and you sense it in your spirit, you have no confidence about your eternity, about who he's called you to be, I wanna give you an opportunity to respond to him right now. If you know that you need to call on Jesus, as your Lord, as your savior, you're distant from him, and you'd be willing to admit that, just to be humble and admit that, I want you, I wanna ask you to put your hand up right now across this room. As soon as I see your hand, you can put it down. You say, I need to call on Jesus as my Lord and savior. Thank you. Got it. Anyone else? I need to call on Jesus. Okay. Father God, I thank you so much. Right now, if you raise your hand, just talk to the Lord. Say this, say, Jesus, I need you. I'm a sinner. I surrender my life to you. I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. And I ask for your forgiveness. I submit my life to you and I repent. I turn away from how I've lived to the way I've lived for myself or for the world. I wanna live according to your plan, your purpose, your will, your word. I need you, Jesus. I give my life to you. 